Hey friends, before we get this party started, I want to invite you to my latest socially distant and responsible outdoor yoga event. If you're in the Austin area, please join us for Yin Yoga with Harp at the Secret Theater on Monday, November 9th from 6.30 to 8.30 p.m. There's nothing quite like the magic of the Secret Theater. It is otherworldly. I highly recommend you check it out regardless. Andrea Cortez, who is my friend and such a talented musician, will be playing the harp as I teach restorative yin yoga. It will be in a relaxing evening to remember. So you can check out the event link in the show notes and please reserve your spot as space is limited. Now, back to the show. Welcome to the Yoga and Podcast. I am your host, Ashley Weber, a yoga teacher and embodiment teacher who is living, learning, and loving every day here in beautiful Austin, Texas. And I am so curious about all things yoga and. This podcast is an invitation to open up your aperture to how we might view yoga. Is it possible that yoga is infused in many things in life? This show is also a celebration for the hardworking people in the mind-body community who are being of service and are contributing to the world in creative and innovative ways. Thank you so much for all you do. Today, we will explore one of my all-time favorite topics. In fact, it's the sister science of yoga, Ayurveda. I must admit that I'm a total fan nerd during this interview because we get to chat with the amazing Angela Perger. She is the host of the Simple Ayurveda podcast and her show has helped me on such a personal level. I am thrilled to ask her all about her views on Ayurveda and what were her inspirations for her episodes. She shines Ayurveda in such a practical and, and accessible light. I know there's something in it for you too. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the episode, y'all. Joining us on today's episode is mother, Ayurveda educator, creator and host of the Simple Ayurveda podcast, Angela Perger. Hey, Angela, how are you? Hi, I'm well. Thank you for having me today. Oh, I'm so delighted to have you on the show. I've been listening to your podcast for a while now, and I have, you have helped me so much. And um, I just was beyond honored that you wanted to be on my little podcast. So thank you for taking time out of your day (laughs) to chat with me. Um, Would you like to introduce yourself just a little bit further? Um, Tell us who you are, what you're about. Sure. I'm Angela Perger and I have two little kids that are ages three and seven. Um, They're wild and crazy beach babies. We live in Florida and um, I used to be an elementary school teacher in inner city Philly before I had them. So that's a little bit about my background. And then since then, I uh, have been a yoga teacher for a couple of years and then 
I started studying Ayurveda to work on my own autoimmune conditions and try to figure out the root cause. And once I got a basic understanding of Ayurveda, I just couldn't keep it to myself. And so that's how I started the Simple Ayurveda podcast and the website and all of that, really just because I was like, wow, this is magical information. And a lot of it is um, are things that are completely free <laughs> and just that are so healing. And I'm like, I need to tell anyone that wants to listen about this stuff. So that's how I started sharing Ayurveda. Cool. And what I love about your approach when you share it is you make it very practical and, and for instance, simples in the name of your podcast, because I think when people are new to learning about understanding Ayurveda, it can be very overwhelming. And um, for someone who may not know what the heck Ayurveda is, would you care to define, um, explain what Ayurveda is? Yeah, sure. I'd love to. Um, and I just want to validate what you said about it being confusing and overwhelming. Uh, the first time I heard the word was in a 200-hour yoga teacher training, I think like about 10 or 11 years ago. And I was interested in it. And I even went and got a consultation from someone and I was still left confused. <laughs> um, I still didn't understand uh, like my doshas and things like that. And I'll explain what that is. Um, and so it was many, many years of practicing and teaching yoga. And then this word Ayurveda sort of like fluttered back into my scope. And I, um, and when I was learning about it myself, I was confused. <laughs> um, so even a few years ago, when I started, when I got the second wind of interest in it, I was still really confused. And I was Googling, trying to find wait, people that were breaking it down easy. And I just didn't find that. So that's where I knew that there was a calling because I feel like whenever we want something and we can't find it easily, <laughs> that the yeah. universe saying, yes, create this thing for other people so they can understand it or do it or have it. Um, but basically Ayurveda is yoga's sister science. So they go hand in hand. And there's a third Vedic science that's kind of like their sibling as well, Jyotish, which is the Vedic astrology. So the the three sister sciences are Jyotish, Ayurveda, and yoga. And Ayurveda, it, it translates to, to mean like the wisdom or knowledge of life. Mm. So really, it's just this ancient wellness system that looks at diet and lifestyle and all these different things about daily living um, and provides suggestions for wellness. So it's like an ancient wellness system. Mm. And all of those suggestions are founded in an understanding of nature. So that's what makes it really special is because once we start to understand like universal truth and just things about nature, the qualities, and then we're able to apply Ayurveda type philosophy to whatever we choose, whether it's food or an activity or something like that. And we don't necessarily need a food list or a book to tell us why, because we could just start to understand these qualities. Mm. Uh, that's a beautiful way to put that. I, I love that. You mentioned you worked in the inner city, you got into yoga, or you, you taught in inner city Philly, you got into yoga, and then you got into Ayurveda. And there's some health stuff is what led you to Ayurveda for healing or, or what exactly was the catalyst to yes. yeah. <laughs> for me? Um, 
When I was 21, I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis and a rare liver autoimmune condition called primary sclerosing cholangitis. And so around that time, basically, I can kind of track it back to being in college and contracting mono. And then from there, my immune system broke down and to the point where I was extremely sick for a good six months. And um, at that time, my doctors gave me prescription drugs and they said, basically, there's no cure. You just have to keep taking prescription drugs. And then I went to a specialist because the autoimmune liver condition is rare. Mm -hmm. And this specialist told me that I would need a liver transplant within 10 years and that I wasn't going to be able to have kids. So that all came around the age of 21. Um, And so it's, it's funny for me to look back because part of me just kind of knew that um, I believed it, you know, and I was upset. And at the time I was also planning to graduate college and join the Peace Corps. And so that got canceled because the Peace Corps doesn't want to be responsible for people with serious illnesses in foreign countries. So, you know, I'm like about to graduate college. My plans are dashed. So for me, it was like a really traumatic time. And And just until recently did I even think to use that word traumatic time or trauma to describe Mm -hmm. it but you know it was like a year of health and news that I'm gonna basically die in my mind and can't have kids and can't go do this thing that you've been looking forward to so once I graduated college then I ended up going back to school for teaching and then made my way to working in the inner city meanwhile Mm -hmm. with the colitis diagnosis, I kind of, even though I didn't know anything about natural health and I was raised in a total 80s household with hamburger helper and canned vegetables and all of that, mm-hmm. um, you know, I started to explore healthier eating, like more vegetables. And I got into vegetarianism through my yoga practice and, you know, learning about yoga philosophy. So I started to try different wellness protocols out there. So I tried eating more raw food. That totally did not work. (laughs) Um, I tried being vegetarian. I tried. And then eventually um, I started reading online about the GAPS diet and paleo. Mm -hmm. So I tried that um, after my son was born. So like about six years ago. So when I did that, which is a lot of bone broth and meat, I went from vegetarian to (laughs) doing that. Um, I researched like where to get the most humane bones and things like that and um at the time my son was a baby and I found this Amish farm co-op that was three hours from our house and they had a day where you could come and see the farm yourself so I drove him out to this Amish farm to see the animals just to (laughs) verify that this was a humane farm and we actually had lunch with an Amish family and everything which was oh my god Um, so yeah, so I started eating that way and my colitis started feeling better in my digestion and I was always trying to wean off that medication. I never liked that, you know, they said I was going to be on medication for the rest of my life. My digestive tract was doing better and I was able to wean off the medication. But then when I went for my annual test on my liver, that showed elevated enzymes and, um, some scarring in the bile ducts, which is what the autoimmune condition is. And since then, I've had an Ayurvedic practitioner finally just sort of describe it. There's heat in the liver, and that's what causes the inflammation. So that's from an Ayurvedic perspective on this rare disease that really doesn't have a lot of information out there online. Mm -hmm. Um, And so I 
here I am, my gut's finally feeling better, but now the liver's messed up. And I realized, you know, the major change I had there was eating a lot of meat. So obviously that wasn't the answer for my body. Mm-hmm. And I was kind of feeling like I've tried everything. Um, like, what am I going to eat? Uh-huh. <laughs> and so that's when um, I was teaching yoga at the time. And one of my yoga students was studying Ayurveda. So that kind of renewed the interest in Ayurveda. And eventually I ended up getting a consultation from her and she gave me some things to think about. And then um, I had hypothyroidism because you know, these autoimmune conditions, they kind of all like, they like to cling on. You get one, you get another one. Uh, (laughs) That's how the body's working, right? It's just breaking down in different ways or just functioning in different ways. So once I had now the hormonal issues, um, my friend was like, okay, this is, I'm not that deep into my studies. I'm going to need to pass you off to the next practitioner. And at that point I had been to, you know, like specialists and naturopathic doctors and now two Ayurveda health counselors. And I was like, I don't think anyone else has the answer. I'm going to have to figure this answer out for myself. And I basically decided I was going to start formally study Ayurveda. So I researched and found a program and I just jumped right in. Oh, wow. That's how I ended up as a long answer, but kind of like gives all the background of the health issues and especially if anyone else is listening. And that's why I feel like it's part of my dharma to share. If the doctor tells you that this is the end or there's nothing you can do, that's usually not the case. There's usually something you can do. Even if you don't have complete control over the situation, there's still... Um, a way that we affect ourselves, even if it's just to feel better. Well, I mean, it's a, it's an amazing journey you've been on being told at 21, you're not going to have kids. And then fast forward. Now you have kids and um, it sounds like you've healed yourself through Ayurveda. Yeah. I would say that. However, I want to be very um, open about this because I have an episode in perfect Ayurveda on the podcast where, you know, I, jumped into Ayurveda a few years back and I ate the food and followed the routine very strict. And I was able to like not have to take medication anymore. Of course, this was a practitioner was um, overseeing, I guess you could say. And then, you know, a good chunk of time went by and everything was flowing smooth. Uh And then my mom ended up in the hospital from a blood clot that turned into a quadruple bypass surgery. And it was just a lot emotionally and, you know, all the things that go along with that and dealing with the family. And so I ended up eating junk food. I ended up even getting fast food one day, which like I never eat fast food, you know, once a year or something. Mm -hmm. Um, And so it's like, it's the perfect storm. (laughs) So emotions and stress and then eating the crap. And I started to get the symptoms back. But Mm -hmm the difference now is when those symptoms come back and they don't just come back one day, like feeling fine. And now they're full on a flare up. There's always hints that the body gives. And sometimes we just ignore those hints and (laughs) don't want to deal with them. (laughs) So, you know, I've had bouts of, I guess you would call it a flare up since um, practicing Ayurveda, but now I understand what I have to do to course correct Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the typical Western protocol, if there's a flare up is to take steroids. Um, and so I haven't had to 
take steroids and you know I haven't had to resort to that however that I've had to pull back and be very disciplined so it's like when I say that I've healed from it uh-huh. you know I think that word has a lot of charge because I know for me when I hear a teacher or a practitioner or these doctors or whoever's trying to sell the wellness course or the program say oh I healed this it sounds like okay if I do this for however long it just goes away forever <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. Like it's fixed air quotes. Right. And so that's why I've even like, I have to spend a little more time on how I want to word my story, like even on my website and stuff, because I'm like, to say healed, it's like, we we're never fully healed as human beings. So, but for all intents and purposes, I do not take prescription medications, nor have I had to, in the case of a flare up, I've been able to course correct through food and lifestyle. Yeah. No, I really appreciate that answer. And full disclosure, I also have had ulcerative colitis and, and I notice it's fine. And then if I get really stressed out and there's like, you're saying there's signs, it'll, it'll, if I'm not rerouting and and de-stressing or or doing, you know, taking care of myself, it'll definitely flare up. So I, I completely identify with what you're saying. Just sounds like Ayurveda has given you the ability to make it more manageable. And I feel like more within my own range of control. Mm. Not, you know, it's not a hundred percent in my control because there are factors outside of my control. Mm-hmm. However, before being diagnosed and being told this information from doctors and things, I felt like it was 100% out of my control. Like here I am just this innocent mm-hmm. person. I was handed this disease that came from nowhere. And now I just have to deal with those consequences and there's nothing I can do about it. Yeah. <laughs> the disempowerment. Yeah. Doctors, I'm not to hate on doctors, but I've experienced that as well. And there, there is a, there is a, they have a way of disempowering. I find. Right. And right now I'm, I'm pretty immune to it. Like for example, um, when my first child was born, I got hypothyroidism during pregnancy, which is not uncommon. Uh Um, and so, uh, at that time I started researching, you know, like, what can I do to, to course correct? This is before I knew about Ayurveda. Um, Mm -hmm. and I had read like going gluten-free and following certain eating. And so I did that. And at my three month postpartum appointment, she was like, oh, your thyroid's great. You can stop taking the medication. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, that's because I did this, this, and this. And she's like, no, it's just a coincidence. Oh. <laughs> so then um, fast forward three and a half years later, I'm pregnant with my daughter and the hypothyroidism pops up again, uh, uh, which, you know, it's, it's can be hormonal related to being pregnant and things like that. Mm-hmm. So the doc, this new doctor was like, oh, you have hypothyroidism, you need this medication and you're going to be on it for the rest of your life. And mm-hmm. now I just nod and smile. And personally, the choice for me was I took the medication while I was pregnant because I felt like, um, you know, I just want everything, the hormones and everything to be functioning and I'm, I'm going to need this outside source. So it's not that I'm anti-medication, mm-hmm. but then when I, after I delivered, I knew that if I adjusted my food and did the lifestyle practices that it's not that I would be on that medication forever. Yeah. I have kind of two questions. One, um, what would be your personal definition of yoga? And then the follow-up question is how has yoga informed Ayurveda for you? Well, I guess, you know, 
I think about yoga as more spirituality. Mm-hmm. However, for all practical purposes and like how I view it for what I do for myself, I would say I look at it just as breath with some sort of asana. Mm-hmm. Um, and that what I viewed as like the necessary or beneficial asana for myself has drastically changed over the years. Yeah. And so now the second part of the question was about yoga and Ayurveda. Yeah. How has yoga informed your, like you as an Ayurvedic practitioner? I feel like, um, my yoga practice has helped me understand the body more. So even just jumping into studying the body, a physical body from an anatomical perspective, just Mm -hmm. already having that background of like the nadis and the, just even the muscles and like the systems of the body a little bit and knowing how certain poses affect the body. Just, you know, for an example, how a twist kind of massages the digestive organs Mm -hmm. and things like that really impacts how I can use Ayurveda for myself as a healing tool and also how I can help specific individuals or even just, yeah, even teaching in classes. Also a big part about what's amazing if you're already practicing yoga or you're a yoga teacher and you start getting interested in Ayurveda is that when we're talking about changing lifestyle or making lifestyle shifts, Uh it's not just a food list. So that's why Ayurveda, we can't just like um, hand over like what to eat if you're a pizza (laughs) and think that that's gonna (laughs) like make some huge, it can make a huge difference perhaps if you're eating like way off. But for a lot of us, we're already kind of eating healthy. And so like, it's, it's more those lifestyle things that we look at in Ayurveda that start to make huge shifts. And some of them can be difficult. And I think that having a solid yoga practice before jumping into Ayurveda for me gave me the discipline, like the tapas to actually be able to implement some of these things because, you know, sitting in chair pose for five or 10 breaths and not wiggling out of it, it just cultivates like some inner power. Yeah. And then it's like, we take that same kind of inner power and someone, we find out, Oh, Ayurveda says I'm supposed to wake up and do this, this, this in the morning. And, uh-huh. um, You know, it's like, it's that same energy that we're creating in our yoga practice that we're putting into the rest of the things in our life. And so it's just like an example. Yeah. I mean, that's a great, that's a great point. I I know for myself, when I first started getting into yoga, I mean, before yoga, you couldn't tell me something felt earthy or fiery or wind or, I mean, I would have scratched my head like what? And it wasn't till yoga, I could really start to get a sense of what those different elemental energies are like. And then um, understanding, uh, you know, I don't know nearly as much Ayurveda as you at all. I'm just like very like teeny, teeny, (laughs) but the doshas and, and I love the doshas are, if you wanted to uh, maybe explain what they are, but I love your I love your episode on the Disney characters and the doshas. I thought that was really fun. And I don't know if you want to elaborate on that, that episode and maybe explain what the doshas are. Sure. Okay. Um, so basically this is what usually when we get into Ayurveda, most of us are really excited to learn about the doshas and from the phrasing that we read online, it's like, Oh, I want to know what my dosha is. <laughs> so basically 
in Ayurveda, the whole system and, um, is based on the five elements. So the five elements are earth, water, fire, wind, and ether. So empty space is ether. Hmm. And then those, so that is a strong basis, like you were saying, to feel something fiery in your body or feel something earthy. That's how we start to use Ayurveda as medicine for us and to decide like, do I need more fire today or do I need more earth today? And we can create those feelings in our body and then we can use outside sources like food or herbs or even the temperature of a room or something to help create those sensations. And so that's like really the foundation. And then from there, there are three energies that are formed by these five elements. So kapha is mostly earth with some water energy. And then I'll describe a little bit more about each one. I'll just tell what they are. And then pitta is fire with a little bit of water and vata is air, and ether. So we are all born with a unique combination of these three doshas. So that's what it, when you see like dosha quiz or something like that, it's, it's to start to understand your own mind and body and, and just start to think like, am I a little more earthy? And like, what is an earthy person? someone that tends to have thicker bones or like a thicker body structure doesn't mean that they're overweight. It just means that when they're at their proper weight, that's good for their body. They're just have bigger bones. Earthier hair is like thicker and wavy and full. Earthier personality might be a little more slow moving. So that could mean like they don't move around a lot, like how I literally change houses and move every couple of years. <laughs> it's not very Kapha-like. Kaffas might want to just stay in their hometown or just keep the same job for longer and have a routine and a rhythm. Um, and they might hold on to ideas. So they're really into tradition or family history and things like that. Those are just examples of how earth energy might show up in somebody. There's many different ways. So that's a person that has more Kapha. And then pitta energy being fire and water, this person is a little fiery, their skin might turn red easier, fiery personality, they could get angry easier, or they get stuff done. They're very organized and direct and teach and lead, it's like that fireball energy. And the body type is a medium build and kind of like medium sized things. And then we have vata types with the wind and space energy, and um, so usually it's a thinner bone structure. Again, vatas could still be overweight. It's just that the bone structure is smaller. Mm -hmm. um, and either they could be a petite or they'll be really tall. So tall and lanky is a vata type body. Vata energy, if you think about like what's happening in the air and the ether, it's like creativity, kind of being a little spacey, a dreamer. So those are qualities that tend to run in vata type people. Um, they get cold easily and they change your mind a lot, right? Because mm -hmm. there's like all these different possibilities. And <laughs> so they definitely vata tendency is to like start a lot of projects and not really want to finish any of them. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, so each one of us is born, we have all three, everybody has all three, um, which is why it can be really hard to kind of figure out what yours is. So that's why I say it's like this process of discovering yourself. It's not like a horoscope where it's like, okay, you're a Pisces or you're a Capricorn. And mm -hmm. now, you know, the, to figure out whether you're more pizza or more kapha or more vata is, is a process really. 
And um, that's because also there's two things in Ayurveda. There's what you were born with. So say someone like me, I'm more Pitta type. That's what I was born with. But then diet and lifestyle, like if, if we're doing a lot of things that provoke Vata energy, then we could have a really big Vata imbalance that kind of like covers up what you, what you really are. So it's harder to figure out. So sometimes it's easier to figure out what's out of balance in the moment rather than like who you are as an individual. And actually um, when you're working with Ayurveda for healing purposes, you're really going to look more at what's going on right now. So for example, let's say you couldn't really tell whether you were a Vata, Pitta or Kapha person, but you had a lot of inflammation, your eyes were red, you're getting mad at everybody, you're irritated, then you can just sort of like realize, oh, Pitta's pretty high right now, maybe. And so when you know that, that's fire. You uh-huh. can look at what things are you doing that are fiery and start to reduce those. Hmm. <laughs> That's awesome. And so your, your inspiration for your episode, oh, yeah. <laughs> was, was that by your kids? Because you're watching Disney movies or what was the inspiration? <laughs> we do watch a lot of Disney movies, but I have to admit that I like them too. So it's not um, totally just like, because I have kids, I've always okay. liked Disney <laughs> stuff and Disney music. Um, so, so, um, I think what started that is um, sometimes I like to, like anyone, we want to kind of analyze our friends and our loved ones and, oh. you know, figure out whether they're kapha or vatsa or whatever. And then sometimes, um, you know, I'll look at celebrities or things like that. And so then I started realizing that some of the Disney characters are complete archetypes of these doshas. <laughs> and so when I started seeing the doshas show up in the Disney characters and being really fascinated by it. I just thought that was a fun thing to share. Well, yeah. Well, when you brought it up, I was like, oh my God, I couldn't believe it. Yeah. They totally are these archetypes. Yeah. I could just share like a couple off the top of my head. Um, just so if anyone's listening and like, okay, because as you learn about the Vata Pitta Kapha, then it's easy when you see them in um, fictional characters because they are so extreme. Like we as human beings, like, you know, I'm not always like fiery and leadership and angry. I'm also, it could be really chill and love yin yoga. So then therefore it's hard for me to see that pizza. You know, it's like, we are not archetypes. We are, we are multidimensional creatures. So mm-hmm. with the Disney characters, um, for example, Elsa is so Vata because each of these three doshas the vata pitta and kapha they come with different qualities and that's how we start to recognize it so vata is like cold and airy and dry and you know that's like she's wearing a sky blue dress with snowflakes she doesn't like to share her feelings with her sister <laughs> she runs away when there's a problem you know like when vata's super high and really getting out of control. It's like frigid type energy. Like I'm not going to open up. I'm, there's no warmth in me. I'm going to like curl in a ball and like not talk to anyone and run away and hide. So that's when Vata gets like crazy or I don't know, crazy is not a great word, but you know, like super elevated. Mm-hmm. And so yeah, like Elsa, Elsa has that kind of like, you know, she needs a lot of coddling and like her friends have to check on her. She's not checking on her friends. Oh Yeah. <laughs> So that's, you know, like a super 
I think it's just a perfect archetype for Vata. And then of course her sister is so Pitta. She has red hair, Anna. Um, you know, she's wearing like emerald green dress in the second movie and um, she's impatient. She marries a guy she just met. That's like, she's fiery. She just makes a decision and goes with it and doesn't look at anything else. And, and she's not afraid to take action. You know, that's very, it's a, a strong pizza quality, right? Mm. And then I didn't even put this in the episode, but Olaf's kind of a kapha. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. Kapha qualities are cold, um, dense, wet. So like in a human being, it would be like kind of like clammy skin, like someone mm. that sort of has like that clammy skin um, because that's cold and wet as opposed to pizza, which is hot. And then Vata, which is dry and cold. Oh. Yeah, so Olaf's kind of like a kappa. Like, he's just telling jokes. He wants to play. He's... <laughs> yeah, all heart. Yes, a lot of love. Like, kappas are said to be the most loving when they're in balance. friends, since we are now in a major world shift and it's even more important now than ever to support one another and stand up for what and who we believe in. And I wanted to have a section in each episode called a spotlight corner. And I want it to highlight black indigenous people of color, LGBTQ plus communities, businesses, and organizations specifically in those areas. And let me say in no way is this a paid advertisement or a sponsorship. It's simply people and organizations who I think are awesome. And I would like to show my support in some way. And I hope to inspire you to support them as well. Somewhat recently, I had the wonderful Scout Shavers on the show. When you get a chance, check it out. It's episode 22, Yoga and Birth. Scout is a birth worker, a birth educator, a doula, a yoga teacher, and the founder of the organization Birth Wild Awake. This organization specifically supports Black, Indigenous, people of color, the doulas, as well as the families. The money is strictly used to provide educational scholarships to these doulas seeking mentorships and skill set to support these families. You may or may not already know, but systematic racism starts at birth. And I really believe in supporting this organization because there is such a need for more support in this particular area of the community. There's a couple of ways you can contribute to her organization. You can either give directly to Birth Wild Awake on Scout's website, scoutwildawake.com forward slash donate. The link to that is in the show notes. There's a donate button that you can click on once you get there, or you can also buy her t-shirts on her website. I have a t-shirt and they are wonderful. They're soft, they fit well, and are high quality. They say on the front of them, Black Birthing Lives Matter. I love mine. I wear it all the time. If you're able, please consider supporting Birth Wild Awake. 
let's let's talk about your other episodes. Um, you did a. I was so moved by your episode on Ayurveda and white supremacy. How did you How did you get the courage to talk about such a heavy subject? Thank you. Um, I just want to say that I'm not an expert in this topic at all, mm-hmm. and so for me, it was really the podcast has always been a super vulnerable journey of sharing what I'm going through myself. And so even on that episode about Ayurveda and white privilege, um, it's just from a place of sharing what I'm working through and not from a place of expertise, you know, because Mm -hmm. I definitely want to hand the ball over to the people that are living this and this is their life's work. The episode leading up to that episode, um, I've tried to keep the podcast diverse and, you know, have a wide range of guests. However, Mm -hmm. I'll just be totally open. When I gave myself a little audit recently, I was like, I think, you know, I thought it was going to be at least 50, 50 of Uh white versus non-white guests. And I realized Uh that it wasn't even quite that. And I was like, okay, there's a little bit of work here for me to do. But um, Mm -hmm. basically I've just tried to feature people that, are in the Ayurveda world from diverse backgrounds so that it's a place of different voices. And one of the people that was recommended to me to be on the podcast and she said yes right away was Susanna Barkataki who runs an online summit called Honor Don't Appropriate. And she leads all kinds of trainings around yoga and anti-racism work and like how to be more truly inclusive and not just use the word. Yeah. So when she agreed to be on the podcast, you know, I wasn't super familiar with her work. And so we just kind of jumped in and had a super raw, real conversation. And, um, and so meanwhile, at the same time that I was having that conversation with her, I was also getting my own DNA test. I had my parents do a DNA test. Yes. Yes. Um, and on my mom's side, there was family stories that we had Native Americans. So then after I published the episode with Susanna Barkataki, I got some feedback. And because it is a controversial subject, and although I've always, in my own opinion, I thought I was, you know, being openly anti-racist, I now understand that unless you're actually saying those words and speaking them, it's, you know, it's um, just to keep quiet about it, isn't enough when there's such a huge ball rolling in the direction of racism. Yeah. After I published the interview with her, you know, I realized um, I wanted to share more about my own journey and I got um, at the time of the people that were writing me that were saying, thank you were people of color. And so it was like, okay, I felt like that gave me the confidence. Like if they're saying thank you, then that means that they, and I don't, they is of course multiple people, but just the people that contacted me or um, were listening or follow me on Instagram, you know, that were saying thank you. It's like, from my experience, they want anyone that's white to speak up in whatever capacity we have. And so that gave me the push just to be honest. And so I shared a little bit about getting my DNA test back and, and them saying that basically I was all white. <laughs> um, that although 
follow-up. I haven't shared this yet on the podcast. I actually do have Native American. I have the paperwork. So, so sometimes things don't always show up in those DNA tests. Just oh, wow. Yeah, because my aunt found um, some paperwork that a great-grandfather on my mom's side was Native American. Oh, wow. But um, so basically, yeah, just finding that out that, uh, you know, all of my ancestors were from Europe, Europe and just feeling like I have this platform and when you, you know, to quote Maya Angelou, it's like, when you know better, do better. And so I have, I have the space to share what I'm learning myself, um, that I'm going to do it. And I feel like what stops many people from sharing <laughs> is first of all, if they don't feel informed and now there are so many ways to become informed and we all know like all the best-selling books and everything and if anyone really just doesn't know where to turn i took an online class by rachel ricketts and i forgot the name of it but it's something about spiritual activism i think and um it's great for yoga teachers so i think all yoga teachers should take some sort of you know diversity class and that's a super easy one to take online it's like an hour and a half there's meditation in there and discussion and things like that it's pre-recorded but um, so do the work. And then, and the second part is when we share, if we're sharing from a place of, we're just sharing what we're learning and mm -hmm. from an open heart mm -hmm. and to think about, you know, the fear, I feel like for me, part of the fear was like, oh, I'm going to say the wrong thing. And so I'm sure that's what a lot of other people might think too. It's like, mm -hmm. I don't want to say anything because I'm going to say the wrong thing. But, you know, that's like old paradigm thinking and like keeping quiet and stuffing things in a closet and not talking about them is what got us in this situation. Yeah, I agree. <laughs> so if you, if we have like any capacity to share, it's, it's really our duty to share in whatever way we can. Mm -hmm. um, and as long as we're sharing from this place of an open heart and listening and doing the work, then I feel like we can't go wrong because even if someone were to write me and say, I don't like what you said or anything like that, I welcome that because that's a discussion. And, and it's a learning opportunity. Like everything in life is research. And, and what I loved about you having, using your voice is you didn't let fear get in the way and you, you're very authentic. Like it's not, it doesn't come off as, I don't know. It just comes off as authentic. So yeah, I really appreciate appreciated that episode and and your other episodes of course thank you yeah I feel like a, the thing about just being honest it's like I'm not claiming to be an expert on that and neither does anyone else that doesn't work in that field and so even to just repost someone else's work with credit you know it just puts the idea out there that I'm not okay with what's happening and the more people see that, I feel like that's how consciousness shifts and what, what the new norm, you know, like what was considered okay 50 years ago in many different parts of society is not considered okay now. And so the more that we just, if we share from like a place of love, I heard a great phrase, it was call in rather than call out. So that's something I had to like, rather than getting angry at other people that don't understand or like, why don't they get this? <laughs> just like finding a way to share that really just invites them to consider something. There's another great resource. It's called the White Ally Toolkit. 
that's just like an online workbook that someone can go through. But now there's so many books that are just, we all know what they are. <laughs> yeah, no, I appreciate you mentioning those, those resources. And I'll get the info later from you about that online course you took and I'll put it in the show notes. So maybe this is a big question, but at the time that we're recording this, you know, we're during, this is six months into COVID um, or so, maybe longer. And as a collective, energetically, I'm guessing there's a lot of that wind, ether, and fire going on because um, there's so much uncertainty. And I don't know if you have any very simple, basic tips that you might want to share um, to help pacify some of that. Yes. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, there's definitely some just super simple, easy things to implement right now. And one of them would be to take a deep breath and let it out. <laughs> but in Ayurveda, uh, one of the main foundational principles is like attracts like and opposites create balance. Mm. So what that looks like, for example, like in that Pitta person that the eyes are all red and bulgy and heartburn or acid reflux, like all those acidity things is to think about um, with food, for example, salsa wouldn't be a great choice because you're adding like attracts like. So you're already feeling red and fiery and then you eat something that's red and fiery and like the red and fire just keeps increasing, increasing uh -huh. until you end up in a flare up or something like that, depending, which could be a flare up of arthritis or colitis or any of those itis um, mm -hmm. conditions are all related to pizza and inflammation. So instead to have something that would be considered cooling and relaxing, so to temper the fire. So, you know, cucumbers are a food that are just considered cooling or mint tea or watermelon or, so, or even just something bland. Like when I feel that sort of energy coming, I would just eat like a bowl of basmati rice, just something plain. You know, mm -hmm. that's not going to be like complicated and spices and everything else. Yeah. Um, and so if you're feeling, there's like two main energies, right? There's the fire. So if you're feeling a lot of aggravation and fire, like you're yelling at your friends or family, losing your temper, then eating bland foods, doing a slow study yoga practice, which that would depend on what your yoga practice is normally like. So for example, if you normally practiced Ashtanga, then maybe you would do a slow beginner type sequence of Ashtanga and you would skip some of the vinyasas and you would hold the poses for a good amount of time. That might be an example of like how you would turn your yoga practice more grounding to calm that fire. And then, um, you know, let's say you usually practice like a really flowy vinyasa with like a lot of reverse warrior as an extended side angle, like back and forth type. Maybe you're going to just hold each pose five breaths to create more grounding energy. So those are just examples. Um, <clears throat> so then when pitch is up and you're firing and all of that, you're going to think cooling, calming, grounding, simple. When Vata's up, Vata energy is just all over the place. Like you lost your keys. When you start losing things, Vata's up. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. When the cell phone's missing, when the keys are gone and all of that, you forgot to lock the door or you locked yourself out. It's like your mind is just all over the place. <laughs> and so for that grounding, grounding, grounding. Um, 
And, and so uh, like yoga nidra, yin yoga, restorative yoga, all of that, just calm your nervous system. Like basically you can sort of, that when the nervous system's frazzled, that's also very like vata indicating. And so the things that will calm. If vata is just a little bit up and you feel like you wanted your yoga practice still to have some, fire is okay for vata, but it's more about a slow movement. So when vata is all over the place, you could definitely, like you could do an ashtanga practice or you could do like a vinyasa that's challenging with core and stuff like that, but you just would take the pace slow. It wouldn't be like a rapid boot campy type class. It'd be like, for me as someone, um, like my dominant dosha is pitta, but my vata is always out of balance. Mm. And most people, the, it's always like the vata that goes first. <laughs> Even if you are a kapha or pitta or vata. Oh. So usually starting with just calming things down a little bit always helps. Mm. The only, you know, we're leaving kapha out because what's happening right now with the pandemic, um, perhaps if you are home without children quarantined, you could have too much kapha. So kapha is like, when it gets out of balance, it's too stagnant. There's not enough movement. So mm -hmm. like if you end up now, let's say you're working from home and you know, you don't really have to get dressed, but waist up and all of that. <laughs> so your kapha would be out of balance. If you're sleeping in, you're watching a lot of TV, you're just not moving your body. And so that's like that sluggish energy. And so the more, so if you were to go and do a yin yoga practice, that might not like do much to help the kapha there because you're already like laying around a lot. Although it still help your mind because you turned off the TV and you're doing yoga. So it's not, I'm not hating on yin because it's my yeah. favorite. But yeah. <laughs> it's just probably not the best choice for when you're trying to pull yourself out of that kind of funk. You know, when mm. you have that kind of funk, then that's when a power yoga class would be helpful. Is uh -huh. that and that fire and like some discipline and like pulling yourself up in and up rather than just being like melted. <laughs> I think I experienced some kapha uh, in the beginning of the pandemic for sure. Excess. Right. Yeah. Once your schedule, cause kaphas really do thrive, like having to be somewhere um, mm -hmm. and be, you know, be accountable in some way and just like having a little bit of structure there, like getting up and out. Like if a kapha works from home, I've had some kapha clients that work from home. They really have to like pull in the discipline to make sure that they, you know, leave the house because <laughs> yeah. kaphas are likely to stay home. Um, and to like get that movement that, and just like the energy flowing that happens when you socialize and get out. So yeah, if you're home alone, it'd be very easy to fall into a kapha slump, but because there's like a little bit of a crash that's happening. Uh-huh. How do you personally reset? For me, when it's my digestive system, I just go right to a bowl of basmati rice that works for my body. It's simple. It's grounding. And Ayurveda has the natural sweet taste, so it's calming. Um, Yoga Nidra is super powerful for me for resetting. I've been doing that a 15 minute recording like every day <laughs> during the pandemic. <laughs> and when I feel like um, nature is another way that I reset. Mm. I feel like I have a lot of tools in my yoga and Ayurvedic toolbox and how to reset. And basically anything that gets me into my body. Dancing is another one. I like to put on oh. the Disney music and dance at home. Yeah. 
<laughs> Disney music, I love it. Yeah, or you know anything really, like belly dancing music or pop music, all of it. Just dancing at home has been super cathartic during pandemic. I recommend everyone do that. If you don't do anything else from this podcast, just put on some music and dance in your house. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. I actually got into dancing during the pandemic. It's like a fear of mine. I think like dancing always like it's really like aerobic dancing. It's kind of dorky, but it's it's been really fun. So this this can be about what you're curious about in your work or it could just be in life. What are you curious about right now? You know, I I um I'm curious about so many things <laughs> and I have a little bit of that vata too. Like right now I'm in an Ayurveda practitioner course. So I'm interested in going deeper into Ayurveda and just learning more about the human body and all the different aspects of it. Um, I'm also super curious about herbalisms and plant herbalism and like plant medicine. So creating formulas and, you know, I'm curious about like wild foraging. I got into that a little bit this summer with the kids and just learning all about plants. And um, I'm also curious about the female body and the hormone cycle and, and all of that too. So I feel like all of these things that are like our birthright, my own body, plants, <laughs> nature, uh-huh. <laughs> that our society kind of like lost along the way and are now having this huge resurgence and a lot of us are interested in these things so yeah yeah I just recently interviewed she's based in Austin a herbalist who um, has a whole herb school and um, that she does I mean not right now but later you know when the pandemic we, we can go out safely and and be in groups she does a Texas plants she takes you out and you learn how to forage all the Texas herbs and and one day one day that's on my list um so I feel you on the herbs and and the female body um I'm I'm definitely always wanting to know more what might be three things about you that people may not know and might be surprised to learn I love pink flamingos oh <laughs> I um, and tacos will be the second thing. <laughs> okay. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I'm hoping to go on African safari someday. <laughs> oh, fun. Cool. All right. And where can people find you online? My website is simpleayurveda.com. So that's super easy to find and on there are links to the podcast, uh, which is on Spotify, iTunes, and Stitcher right now. And then I'm more active on Instagram. So my handle is at simple underscore Ayurveda. Great. And all those links will be in the show notes. So you're just one click away from connecting to Angela. Thank you so much for being on the show. It was so fun to just sit down and chat with you. Thank you. I hope you enjoyed today's episode all about yoga and Ayurveda with the incredible Angela Perger. When you get a chance, do yourself a favor and check out her show, Simple Ayurveda Podcast. Her knowledge has helped me so much in my daily life. I know you're going to love it. All of her info is linked in the show notes. So you're just one click away from connecting with her.
If you liked what you heard, please share this show with your friends and please consider joining our Yoga and Podcast Patreon. They're great member perks. You get access to an online community of virtual yoga classes taught by yours truly. There's shout outs on the show. We send you podcast stickers and a love note when you sign up. And you can find all that info down in the show notes as well. If you would like to help the podcast, please leave us a review wherever you listen to your podcast. Leaving reviews really help the show to grow organically. It sort of stretches out uh, the outreach of the show, if you will. Our email is yogaandpodcast at gmail. The and is spelled out, Y-O-G-A-A-N-D podcast at gmail. And please follow us on Instagram at yogaandpodcast. And let us know if you have any requests for future episodes. Check out our merch. We have tees, hoodies, mugs, and more at my website, ashleyweberyoga.com forward slash podcast. The theme music is by Allie Holder. Sound engineering and mixing by Bentley the Cat. Guest booking by Chloe the Kitty. Remember that this podcast is for everyone. If you're a human living on planet Earth, you might benefit from listening to Yoga and Podcast. See you next week.